still in the series. Hello, I'm a Christian in name only. And today we're going to talk about why is God unfair? Why is God unfair? Have you ever asked yourself that question? God, why are you so unfair? Have you ever asked God that question? It's just not fair. Ever looked at your life and been like, that's just not fair? Or you looked at someone else's life and like, that's not fair. All right, this is going to be a long one. <laughs> I read a book a while back, and um, it, it, had a, it had such an impact on me that uh, I found a quote in it that had such an impact on me that I actually typed out the quote, and I posted it on the door of my office at the last church I worked at. And it said this, if you failed today, fire yourself. Tomorrow, wake up, hire yourself, and start all over. If you fail today, fire yourself. And tomorrow, rehire yourself and start all over. See, that was a pivotal statement for me. Because for years, and I think I shared this with you a little bit last week, I struggled with what was called, or what is affectionately called in society today, a failure complex. It's something that a lot of us have dealt with for a very long time, it, it, even before it was given an official name. A failure complex. We always felt like we were a failure. For instance... When I was in Bible school, after I'd gotten back from my two deployments in Iraq, and I had two kids at that time, I, uh, I, I struggled because most everyone else in my Bible school classes were a lot younger than me. They were a lot younger than me, and they seemed to, like they had everything going for them. You know, they didn't have to go home and play dad for several hours before they did homework, and they could go out with friends. And you ever, you're ever like, God, I did all this other stuff before even, before even getting to this point in my life. Man, it's just not fair. You ever look at someone, and you're like, man, that's just not fair. And it seemed, you know, they had everything going for them. They seemed like they had a very clear path. And, of course, my path, I always thought it was like this really muddy, not clear thing. Do you ever feel like that in your life? Like God has you on a path, but you really don't know where it's going? You're like, I can feel the rails. It's like closing your eyes and walking along, a, walking along a train track with dense fog, and, it's, and the rails are flooded with muddy water, with dense fog all around, and you're, you're down there, and you can feel the rails, so you know you're going in the right way, but you don't know where you're going. You know you're in the right place, but you don't know where it's headed. And you see other people around, and it's like, their life has got everything going for him. And maybe you think, well, that's not fair. Never thought that, huh? Well, maybe this will come up later in life and you can pull it up on the, on the internet. Worse than that, though, I really thought that my past mistakes... And my poor decisions had led me to the point where I was dealing with the muddy waters and all that other stuff. And I didn't know my direction. <laughs> See, the thing is, is that sin is fun. And sometimes sin is not one of those guilty pleasure sins. It's like 
one of those like other sins. Like when the Bible says something like, went to debt. <laughs> yeah, I did that. The Bible says don't go to, into debt. Did you know that? Debt's a sin. Ooh. Ouch. It is. Don't be beholden to another person. Oh. I wish I had heard that one 20 years ago. Wish that was taught to me in Sunday school when I was a kid. I'm teaching my kids this. And they get to learn it from hard knocks because debt stinks. It's just not stinking fair. You know, God, there's so many things I want to do in my life, but this debt's in the way. That's just not fair. You ever feel that way? I had a lot of fun with the money I spent on a credit card. Leah and I went out to nice restaurants. We went and did different things. My, my wife ended up getting, a, getting, getting all sorts of stuff. We bought a computer that we don't have anymore. That's, that's like the hallmark of debt, isn't it? You buy stuff and then it's gone and you still have to pay for it. <laughs> Worse than that, I alluded, as I alluded to last week, I actually thought that part of my salvation was to suffer and to suffer failure for Christ's sake. You know, my life is going to be an example For a while, my actions and my emotions attached failure to, as to taking up my cross and following Jesus. Every failure I'm going, it's like that pain of the cross and the lashes. What a lie. My life had been dotted by failure for a long Life wasn't fair. Life isn't fair. But I not only embrace that failure... I endeavor to become an expert at it. But we feel that way sometimes, don't we? We feel like in this way or in that way. You know, I never, I never took that chance when I, when I had that chance 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 30 years ago. I should have done that, but oh well. I, and I'm probably going to fail at the next thing. You ever feel that way? Like you, you, you project that into the future? I'm going to fail at the next thing. Wow. That's, but that's how I felt too. See, the thing is, is accepting failure goes by a lot of names. Being a mediocre life or an average life or good enough. And all of these words signify one thing. Complacency. God has called us to live a life of abundance. Let me be clear about this. John 10.10 puts it this way. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose, Jesus says, is to give them rich and satisfying life. Rich and satisfying life. I find it very ironic that when Christ was sacrificed on the cross, the people that were right next to him were thieves. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And there they are up on the cross being killed right along with him. What a picture. The cross, though, 
was not Christ's failure. A lot of us think of it that way. In fact, in, the, in that society, if you were hung on the cross, it was such an abomination. It was worth humiliation. It, it wasn't even like today where, where we have the death penalty and people get injected and then they're gone. It was a death that was meant to expose you. You were stripped naked and forced to walk through the street carrying the device of which you were going to die on. As people along the road would ridicule, mock you, throw things at you, spit at you. That is not a compassionate death. It makes the electric chair look like it's nothing. I mean, death is death. The outcome is the same. But this was meant to do more than that. But Christ's death on the cross was not a failure. It was his greatest moment of victory. God wants to give us an abundant and satisfying life. Not so it can be a mediocre life or an average life or a good enough life. A rich and satisfying one. Another version of the Bible puts it this way. Life abundantly. You know, I tried to find some verses to try to help people be a little bit happier with living an average life. But I'll be honest with you, I couldn't find a single one. I looked. I couldn't find a single one. It's almost as if the idea that we should be happy with how things are right now in our lives, if our lives are not 100% going in the path that God has for us, it's almost as if we shouldn't be happy with that. It's almost as if we shouldn't be satisfied with that. The word contentment is what we use to describe accepting things as they are today. So think of the phrase, you get what you get and you don't throw the fit. <laughs> Many people around us seem to have better lives or the better jobs or better cars or better homes or better kids or whatever it is. And these things which make us feel envy or maybe we just struggle with envy because we're believers and we don't actually struggle with envy. Maybe we just struggle with it passively. They make us feel like life isn't fair. For those of us that have been in the church, like I said, we, we feel these things passively sometimes. But we never express our disappointment. We quietly accept things as they are. You know what that's called? False humility. It's called a lie. You're lying to yourself. We struggle with these things. I know you all struggle with it. Why? Because all have fallen short. The Bible says you've struggled with it, so I'm going to go with what the Bible says. Altogether, it could make us feel like God isn't fair. It makes us think about our bad days. You know, the days where something doesn't seem to ever go right. But despite these bad days... We're still very blessed, aren't we? We live in the pulpit, but let's tout America. We live in the wealthiest country in the world. That's pretty cool. 
And I'm going to tell you right now, if you get injured, you can go to the ER and you'll get taken care of. You'll probably have to pay a bill afterwards, but you'll get taken care of. If someone had a heart attack in service right now, which has happened before in churches, I've seen it. We could call an ambulance and they'd be here and they'd help out. We even have, a, we even have medical professionals in the room that could help, I'm sure. <laughs> but there are countries around the world where if you get hurt, you're out of luck. Most of us ate breakfast this morning before we came here, right? And if you didn't eat breakfast, probably because you chose not to. That's not to say that people in North Dakota aren't going hungry, but there are definitely generous people around that would be more than willing to help if people would just ask. Churches are even around to help support those. Or even government programs are around. You got WIC and you got food stamps. I mean, if you go hungry, I'll be honest, it's kind of your own fault. You've got to reach out. If you want to be prideful and keep to yourself and go hungry, that's your choice. Goes back to that choice thing again. There's a lot of places in the world you don't have a choice. You're just going to be hungry. We still go around thinking life's not fair. We always hear that we're to be content with how our lives are today, especially as Christians. But I think we've confused contentment with complacency. I think that's a very false way to live your life. I want to share a couple of scriptures with you about contentment that are from scripture. Scripture breaks it into three different categories. First is that we're to be content. We're, we should be content with where contentment comes from. The first one says this, Matthew 6, 25 to 26 says this. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear it. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look to, at the birds. They plant, they don't plant or harvest or store up food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them, and aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? See, God is our provider. But more than that, we are valuable to him. You are valuable to God. You have value. So we're not supposed to worry about the things in life. Because he's going to provide everything. He provides it because we're valuable to him. Matthew 6, 23, sorry, 6, 32 to 33 says this. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. God gives us everything we need to be part of the kingdom. I'm talking about being part of the kingdom. I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel where God is going to give you everything. He's going to make you a millionaire. No, he's going to give you everything you need to be a part of the kingdom. Let's get that very clear. I'm not telling you he's going to give you all the money in the world or all the talents in the world or all the looks in the rule in the world. It's just not going to happen. I mean, it could. I mean, God is God and he can do whatever he wants, but he's not interested in your wealth He's, he's interested in making sure that your wealth is in, li- is in alignment with the kingdom. If he wants you to be wealthy, you will be. If he wants you to be prosperous, you will be. 
if you follow him. If you seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. There are people with lots of money that don't seek the kingdom. Guess what? They commit suicide. At higher rates than anyone else. The highest rates of suicide are from people that are actually successful but have no, they have nothing on the inside of them. It's because they've realized that, they've realized what we envy. They've realized that, that what we envy in money doesn't provide what the kingdom provides. I've got to fly in here. <laughs> Hebrews 13.5 says this, don't, leave, don't love money, be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Money is an overstated commodity in my belief. It fails too often. And any investor in here, you guys know, at the flip of a switch, that money can fail you real quick. We have to be invested in someone who doesn't fail, not something that will. God doesn't abandon us. Second, the Bible talks about how we gain commitment. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 25. I'm sorry, this is a bit of an eye chart. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I've worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times, more times without number, and faced death again and again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. Serving God, even though there's suffering, is where we gain commit is where we gain contentment. Serving Him. When we serve Him, His people or His church, we find a greater commitment in our lives. Paul, in this verse, is talking about all the things that he suffered for Christ. But he's, but he's basically saying, don't focus on that. He's talking about how we need to focus on his example. He's been through all these things. Some people can't bring themselves to serve God, even the little things. Or in the needs of the church. But here's an example of a man who worked harder. He'd been put in prison, had been whipped, and he'd even been bring, bought, brought to the brink of death five different occasions. We live in a religiously free nation. So I'm thankful that we're not persecuted like he was persecuted. But what I can't understand is why people have difficulty trusting God and committing their lives to the Lord and their calling in a free society. Philippians 4, 12 to 13 says this, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Have you guys ever read that verse in context before? That's like the ultimate power verse. I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength. How about no matter what situation you're in, whether you're hungry or poor or 
poor or if you're rich and full, you can do anything. Do everything through Christ's strength, not through your own. We're not supposed to serve out of our understanding. We're supposed to serve out of his understanding. We're supposed to serve out of what has been put into us. If nothing's going into you, you don't have anything to give out. And whatever you do give out, it's not from him. It's from you. And that is wrong (laughs) because we're broken. Do everything in Christ's strength. We cannot do these things alone. Look at how God sets things up. Okay? Let's look at some of the institutions that God has created. And you tell me if this would work alone with just you. Number one, marriage. Can you be married alone? Maybe in today's society. But it doesn't work. You see, the thing is, it's a covenant between two people, one man and one woman. Thank you very much. And you have to daily strive and you have to go through your life and you have to bear with one one another. You have to bear with the fact that he didn't throw the socks in the hamper or that she didn't do that one thing. That's part of marriage is bearing with one another. Think of all the times God has had to bear with you. (laughs) Marriage, that's how that works. How about parenting? I cannot emphasize the importance of a two-parent home. I just can't. I can't overemphasize that enough. It is so vitally important for kids to grow and develop in a two-parent home. God designed it that way. He designed parenting to be an outpouring of a strong marriage. What did I say before? You can't do anything except for what God has put into you. You can't give out anything except for what God put into you. You can't give out anything to your kids that you haven't already put into your spouse. And I know there's a lot of single parents out there and a lot of single parent situations or a lot of interesting family situations. Some of them very interesting. There's even mixed families and extended families and grandmas taking care of grandkids because parents are off working or whatever it is. We've got one young lady in our church right now. She's not here right now, so, but I'm going to tell you right now, pray, pray for her family because grandma's taking care of them during the week right now, but she has stage four cancer because her parents are out working, trying to keep a roof over her head. It's important to remember that there's a role for the church in these kids' lives, especially when the parents are not around. I remember a baby dedication we did at Lighthouse for a single mother. She had three kids. I don't know who the dads were. But, I, but we prayed one important thing over her life. We said, their dad is not a part of their life. But there are men in this church who are a part of your life, who will be a part of their life. That's the church's job. That's what we do. How about the church? The church is not effective without a community in it and around it. I once heard a pastor say, and I, do, I totally disagree with him. He said this. He said, I love everything about ministry except the people. I said, what? 
What a terrible statement. The church is the people. It's not about the, it's not about the, it's, it's, sorry, it's all about the people of God coming together and to support each other, to love on each other, and to love on their community. Leading them to Jesus. Ministry is not about sitting in a room with the Bible hoarding the good news to yourself. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, I am strong. That is 2 Corinthians 12.10. Take pleasure in your weaknesses whenever you're insulted, whenever you have hardships and persecutions and troubles that you suffer because of your service to Christ. I'm telling you right now, if you're being persecuted because of your faith, you're in great company. If your life is going through hard times because you're not doing the things that God wants you to do, that is not good company. There's a big difference. People are always suffering because of the sins of others as well. Look at the atrocities in history. They weren't acts of God. Rather, they probably, most of them, come from the sins of the people. Sin never remains hidden because your commitment to Christ Sorry, sin never remains hidden. And they never stay isolated to the center. Sin is a plague, and it spreads by contact. You know, most of the atrocities, I mean, think about the Holocaust. A loving God, have you ever heard this from someone? A loving God would never allow those atrocities to happen. My response to that is simply this. Yeah, I don't believe in that God either. Have you, ever some, have you ever had someone come up to you who doesn't believe in Christ and they say things like, how could a loving God have all this happen? Yeah, I don't believe in that God either. Well, God, God made this happen. Yeah, I don't believe in that God. Why? Because the folks that are doing these things, they're not serving God. They're serving the enemy. And I don't believe in that God. Now, where things get really confusing in the world today is people will try to blame us, people, for things that really aren't our fault. There's not a whole lot we can do about the climate. <laughs> we live in a fallen world. The reality is, is that, that that is a consequence of sin. We live in a fallen world. Hurricanes happen. Fires happen. Bad things happen. It's a consequence of living in a fallen world where there's original sin. But what do we do with contentment? Here's the third part. Psalm 37, 3-4 says this, Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. When you prosper in doing good things, God will give you the desires of your heart. But at the same time, he's going to change the desires of your heart to match the kingdom. That's right. 
Ecclesiastes 3.13 says this, and people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are the gifts from God. There it is. Go have a party. Enjoy the life that you've worked hard for. Accept the gifts that he's given you and use them. Before we continue, I do want to talk about one important aspect here about God and fairness. God isn't fair. And we should be immensely happy about that. Psalms 103, 10 to 12 says this. He did not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Thank you, Jesus. Because we deserve a harsh punishment. Romans 6.23 says this, and most of you guys know this verse. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus our Lord. Thank God he's not fair. You know what's funny about wages is you work for them. People work for death. People work at death. That's what sin is. It is a choice. You work at it. Ask any guy who wants to hook up with a girl if he had to work at it. He had to work at it. And it was still sin. Ask any person who stole something if it took effort to steal. Yeah, it did. It takes effort. You earn a wage from your actions. But the wages of sin is death. But do you notice that in the scripture there, it doesn't say that the wage that God gives is the gift of life? Sorry, the wage that God gives is life? No. He says it's a free gift. You don't have to work for your salvation. You do have to work out your salvation. You do have to work out from your salvation. It's like if you got a gift of a chainsaw. You have a choice. You can hoard that chainsaw. And use it only when you want to use it. Or you can use it to help bless other people. Which one should you do? Just bless other people. God gives you the gift of a truck. What should you do? Hoard it for yourself, put it in the garage and polish it up, make it look pretty? Keep it all to yourself? Or should you use it? God gives us a lot of things because... He wants us to use a lot of things to help a lot of people. That's the good news, guys. That's the gospel. God's free gift. He did it not only to save us, but to be an example. He gave up his life so that we could have life. And it involves a relationship. You've got to build a relationship with him, right? This is an important part of salvation. Do you remember when you met your best friend for the very first time? Did you trust them completely from the very start? I can tell you, I had a best friend as a kid. His name's Tim. Tim, if you're listening to this, sorry. Um, 
I didn't like him at <laughs> first. <laughs> I remember I didn't like him. But he was my next door neighbor, and we saw each other all the time, and we eventually just started hanging out. It took time to build that relationship. But eventually we built a pretty strong relationship. Now, I'm not God, and I'm not your judge, but I, I, I believe that this is what salvation in Christ is all about. I mean, he came to here so that we could have a relationship with him, right? And I didn't trust my friend at first because I didn't like him anyway, but I didn't trust him. Even when he became my friend, I didn't fully trust him right away. You just don't do that with people a lot of times. I mean, some people are very, very trusting and they trust right off the bat. Great. But not everyone's like that. You don't trust people with stuff right away. Your salvation is probably the most important aspect of your entire life. It is an eternal decision. And you literally have to trust someone else with it. I think it's very, 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 very hard to convince someone that you truly are saved, that you trust Jesus with your salvation if you have absolutely no relationship with him. But I'm not God's judge. I mean, I'm not God and I'm not your judge. I think people who wait in their lives for the last possible minute and hope that a few little words to an entity, to a God that they know nothing about, that takes a lot of faith. And I'm not sure a lot of people have that level of faith. I've been with people on their deathbed. I hope to see him in heaven. I have hope for that. I really do. But let's not get caught up in that right now. We could talk about that offline if you want to talk about it offline. I'm going to talk to you right now in these pews who have been here, who have had a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you're growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to develop that relationship. You have to trust him. That means trusting him with every aspect, not just your salvation, everything. We live in a world that would be better off with Jesus in it. But his hands and feet seem to get caught up in other things. All too often it feels like the church is content with its current situation. And I think the church a lot of times has become very complacent. Even lazy. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that we should be just okay. Or that we should be okay with how things are. That means that as a church, we have to meet the needs of the people in their community. I mentioned earlier that no one is, that, that probably no one has ever come to a church hungry today, unless it was by choice. But what about those that are going hungry in our community today? Does the church stand up and help those kids that are his kids, God's kids? Do we help God's kids that are in need? We always say, what about the children? What about God's children? Or have we delegated that ministry to the government? A ministry that should be glorifying God 
is instead being glorified to the government. One of the first ministries that the disciples ever did was a feeding ministry for widows and orphans. Very first one. Look it up. It's there. In fact, that's why deacons were created. Deacons? Deacon board? Board members? There you go. (laughs) That's why you exist. You exist because the apostles couldn't do it all. The preachers of the word said, we're spending a lot of time feeding people instead of, saying the, instead of doing the word. We need some help. And then they voted in deacons. They drew straws. I think that would be fun for next time. We should draw straws. What do you think? Put, everyone, put every man's name on the bottom of the straw and then you hold it in your hand and then we pull it out and that's, that's who's going to be the board for next year. For next year. <laughs> Don't think that'll fly. We're too democratic for that. <laughs> that was a bunny trail. But the reality is, is that people are suffering all over the place today because the church doesn't stand in the gap. Like Christ stands in the gap. We'd rather delegate. Trust in the Lord and do good. This is Psalm 37 this is what it said. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. But you say to yourself, Pastor, or you say to me in your head right now, you say, Pastor, we're a small church. Well, guys, 90% of the churches out there are small churches. And the churches in the United States are... Not doing that great. 80% of churches are in decline. And that's, there's a lot of reasons for that. I actually drove by a church in Bismarck. It's for sale. That breaks my heart. There's a lot of reasons for this, but chiefly, I want to say it this way, is that I believe that the reason why that is is because the church doesn't prayerfully fall under God's direction. And their actions are wasted. Do you remember last week when we talked about the prodigal son? What did I say the word prodigal means? Someone who foolishly wastes. I think we have a prodigal church. I think a lot of times we have a prodigal church. We waste a lot of energy. Some of it very sideways. We get co- we'll get so caught up in some offense or we'll worry about how someone's going to feel about something. I mean, how do you guys feel when the government makes decisions based upon someone's feelings? What was that? I was reading a... Uh, I, was, I, I, was, I was watching a YouTube video, actually. It was on a political commentary about, in Canada, the Canadian... Uh, department where they, where, where they handle health services and they're talking about cervical cancer, they have on there, as their poster person for cervical cancer, they have a transgender woman, which is a man. And they were talking about how it, the article that, that was talking about this website said that it was being recommended to the transgendered women to go and get their, their neo-cervixes checked for cancer. I don't know if you understand the anatomy of how this all works, but those men don't 
have cervixes. It doesn't exist. That's, that's not how it works. I know this is kind of like in, in the weeds a little bit, but go with me here. That is what they're recommending to the transgendered men. But that same department, to help avoid offending transgendered men who are women, it is not recommended on any part of their website for them to have their cervixes checked, despite the fact that they have them. They are more concerned about these w- women's feelings getting hurt because they identify as men than about cancer. I think all too often we are so concerned about the feelings of people that we have forgotten that there's a cancer out there. People are dying. They're going to hell. Come on. (laughs) It's that simple. (sighs) It's that dumb. When did feelings override salvation? Now, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Don't get me wrong. I don't think God's into that. But it's real simple. If you believe in Jesus, you go to heaven. If you don't believe in Jesus, you go to hell. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. You may get to heaven and go, Lord, Lord. Oh, there's that verse again. Doggone that verse. But you didn't know him. You have to know him. How do you know someone? By meeting them for the very first time? No. That's knowing about someone. You have to know him. So what are we doing to have him be known? I just went there, didn't I, guys? (laughs) Do everything under Christ's strength. The church has got to be creative. We can't do things the way we used to do them. It doesn't work anymore. We don't do things the way we used to do them. Do you know how many slide rules I've owned in my life? Zero. My dad did, because that's how they used to do math. Then this thing called a calculator came along, and then Siri came along, and we don't even have to know math anymore. (laughs) It's sad, but it's true. You've got to reach people where they are. You have to be mobile. You have to be out there ready to meet people wherever they are. Whether it's in the farmer's fields or if it's in Marion Manor or if it's kids downstairs in kids' church or youth group, you can't reach everyone the same way. I thought this thought the other day. I saw, I saw the uh, information about the paper and all that stuff, and you know, I was really excited about the connection being in the paper. And, and I told people, and I told people that were there, at, there on, on the opening night, I said, do you know how many kids this is going to reach? Zero. It's going to reach exactly zero kids. But guess how many of the parents it's going to reach? A bunch. Guess how many of the grandparents it's going to reach? Most of the grandparents. Because most of the grandparents read the paper. Some of the parents read the paper. I didn't read the paper until, until I became a pastor. 
And I realized I should probably read the paper. I didn't even get a paper. I got all my news from the internet. As you can tell, I'm pretty fired up about this. <laughs> I'm pretty fired up about this. But it's a symptom of living in a community that's so full of potential. It's a symptom of being in a church that's so full of potential. You just want to see it live up to its potential. I have a singular challenge for you today. One single challenge. And it's not an easy one. From today forward, I challenge you to strive every single day not to live in complacency. But to live in a Christ level of commitment. A Christ level of contentment. You're not always going to achieve it. And you're probably going to fail more than you succeed. But keep trying. Failure is a teacher. You have to learn those lessons. When you fail, you learn. Sometimes you fail and learn what you're not supposed to do. Sometimes you fail and learn and you figure out what did work and what didn't work, and then you do what does work. How, do, how are vaccines created? A whole lot of failing until you find one that doesn't fail. Was well, it Thomas Edison? He was creating the light bulb, and he's, he went through something like, I can't remember the figure, it's something like 10,000 different materials before he found one that worked for the light bulb. Don't give up. Eventually it'll work. Now, there's a difference between insanity, which is doing the same thing over and over and over, expecting a different result. You can't do the same thing over and over and over, expecting a different result. You can't keep using paper and hoping it's going to make a light bulb. You can't string paper between two... Anyway, that's one thing that they try to do, string paper between two diodes and electrify them and try to make a light bulb that way. Apparently, it lit up, um, and then it went out. <laughs> so, it's a wonderful thing about fire. If you fail, if you fail today, fire yourself. Say, all right, I'm done. I'm not going to do that again. That's literally what means fire yourself. It means stop doing what you've been doing. Fire yourself. Go to bed. Wake up tomorrow and rehire yourself and start again. That's what's got to happen in our lives. That's what's got to happen in our marriages. That's what's got to happen in our families and in our church. Men, women, if you're in your, if you're in your marriage and things are going real bad today, fire yourself. And the great words of Bob, uh, Bob Newhart... In a Saturday, it was a mad TV special. Lady came in and said, I'm afraid of this and I'm afraid of that and I'm afraid of this. And what does he say? He says, stop it. I'm afraid that I'm going to be drowned if I go in a swimming pool. Stop it. Stop what? Stop being afraid. It's really that simple. It's hard, but it's simple at the same time. 
Men, if, converse, if communication is the problem in your relationship with your spouse, stop it. Fire yourself, and tomorrow wake up and try again. Try something new. Tell you what, my life, my life with communication with my wife changed dramatically one day. You want to know what I did? I made coffee and poured her a cup in the morning. That was it. It showed I cared. I didn't have to say a single word. All I had to do was just bring her the coffee. Oh, you brought me coffee. You really do care. Just little things. Little things change. Sometimes you just have to stop it. Guys, it's not a sin to fail. It's a sin to not try. That's how marriages fail. That's how families fail. And that's how churches fail. Is when they don't try. 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 It's kind of like God being at the door of your heart knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. He just wants to be led and you keep trying and 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 you don't stop until you haven't failed anymore. You want to know how to reach our community? You try. You take risks. There are three kinds of churches in the world. I'm going to talk about this more in a couple weeks. There's three types of churches in the world. There's one on mortuary duty. They're waiting for everyone to die out. There's one on, there's one on a, oh, what's it called? It's, it's sustainment duty. They're just trying to stay alive. And then the third kind, these are the ones that succeed. Those are the churches that take risks. You can't succeed if you don't take a risk. You can't earn a bunch of money in the stock market if you don't, ch- if you don't put your money in there and take a risk. I had an opportunity this week. I picked up a guy from a construction site, and I was driving him home. He had just been fired from his job. He gets into my van, and I said, how was your day today? He said, it was beep. Beep is my, yeah. (laughs) I said, really, what happened? He said, I literally just got fired. I said, really, what happened? He said, it's because I'm black. I said, really? He said, yeah. I went to my doctor because I was having wrist problems and I got a note from my doctor. I gave it to my manager and I said, I'm having wrist problems and I'm supposed to be working in the shop. And he knows I'm supposed to be working in the shop. My doctor said I'm supposed to be working in the shop and he sent me out on the workshop, on the work site today. And we're digging holes. He said, I was working. We were taking a break. I was on the phone with my mom sitting in the truck. My boss says, you can't sit in the truck and be on the phone. You're fired. I said, man, that's a bad day. Then I got to tell him about my bad day when I was laid off with 150 people out of Regent University. And I I said, I'll tell you what, though. If it hadn't been for that bad day, I wouldn't be here. I said, in that moment, I realized that my life was going nowhere. It was doing one of these numbers. I said, you know, sometimes... God puts things hap- God makes unfair things happen in our lives. Sometimes bad things happen in our lives so that we can be kicked 
in the butt a little bit. <laughs> Kicked into position. I said, I honestly would never have even applied to churches in North Dakota if I hadn't had to, had gotten over my pride and started applying for unemployment because they required me to apply for two jobs a week. I wasn't doing that before. Men, it is hard to put in for unemployment. It is really hard. Nobody wants to do that. Because that's, that, that, that in my mind, that's a failure. And I said, God, I'm going to do this because I have to, because this is what you want me to do. And at the end of that, he wasn't swearing at me anymore. And he said, you're a good person to talk to. And I said, thank you. He said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and I said, do you mind if I pray with you? And I got to pray with him. And he was about to go, in the, he was about to go into his, his apartment and tell his live-in girlfriend, who he has a kid with, that he just got laid off. And he gave me his phone number so that I could follow up with it. That's simple, guys. That's the kind of stuff that changes people's lives. I'm not going to say his life's going to be changed because of an encounter with me. He had an encounter with God. It's not about me. It's about God. Lord God, I pray today, as we go about our business throughout this week, that we understand that okay is not good enough. Lord God, I'm reminded of, it's a joke that I have said to people before. You know, I've got four kids, God, and if one of them was missing, I'd still have a passing grade as a parent. And, and though that's meant as funny, even one of my kids being lost, even though technically that's a C average as a parent, I'd still be a failure. Lord God, your goal is to not have a single one of your kids lost. And I pray, Jesus, that as we go through our day, that we would challenge ourselves against complacency. Help us to not be complacent. Because we, when we are complacent, God, we are complicit with the enemy. I pray for a radical change in the hearts and in the minds of the people in the community and in our church. That we would be open to you, your guidance, your creativity. Lord God, use us. In your name, amen.